Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast Show. This is your host, Adam Force, coming to you from sunny Miami. I love these winter months. This is the best time of year for us. I know I know some of you are struggling with the cold weather. We were, uh, my wife and I were just in New York City. Uh, and man, we did forget a little bit just how brisk it can get, but we did miss Brooklyn and Manhattan. So we had a good time out there. And so speaking of Miami, I don't know where you're from, where you might be listening in from, but around certain cities, you're going to see scooters. Scooters are all over the place and they're doing these tests to modify, update, enhance urban living. It's called the micro mobility movement. And then they're having an incredible impact on the transportation uh, industry. And the impact is in social and environmental uh, areas, right? So we're going to talk about that today with uh, Andrew Savage. So one of the major brands out there is called Lime. Um, So if you've seen the scooters, you've probably seen a Lime scooter and they have over 100 million rides on these scooters so far and the impact is incredible. So who we're talking to is Andrew Savage. He's the vice president of sustainability and part of the founding team of Lime. They've raised a ton of money and they've had a huge impact, as I mentioned, over 100 million rides. So we're going to talk about how do you disrupt the transportation world as an entrepreneur, right? How do you get into this type of thing? It seems so complicated. Like, So I always want to know, like, how do you break into this type of um, category, um, get you know cities on board and you know set it all up, all that kind of stuff? Um, and also, what does it mean? What's going on in the transportation industry? I think this is a major area for entrepreneurs to be thinking about. So we wanted to talk about this and what does it mean to climate change as we shift and transition our uh, transportation habits, right? So this is a pretty pretty awesome conversation I'm excited to have and share with you guys. Um, so if you missed last uh, week's release, actually, we didn't do one over the holiday. <laughs> I'm lying. We didn't do one over the Thanksgiving holiday. The one before that was with me and Amy. We did a discussion on why your sa- your online sales might not be you know, rocking and rolling the way that you hoped. So there's a lot of valuable nuggets in there. So hopefully you got a chance. You can check it out. If not, go back. You can have a listen to that conversation. Um, I think you'll get some good nuggets out of it. All right. And last but not least, don't forget to stop by changecreator.com. We have a ton of fresh content content up there for you all to uh, check out and follow us on Facebook guys we do a lot of good content on there and if you want to get serious uh, we have our Facebook group the profitable digital impact entrepreneur you can find us there all right let's get into this conversation with Andrew okay show me the heat I know you're gonna dig this hey Andrew welcome to the change creator podcast show how you doing today man I'm doing great thanks for having me yeah, I appreciate you making the time. Um, I know you are super busy. And uh, just looking at all the things you guys have accomplished, you're a bit of a baller. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in digging into how all this uh, came to be. <laughs> so um, if you could just tell me a little bit about just what's going on in the world of Lyme today. What, what are the most current events? What's happening with you guys? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, thank you again. It's, it's great to be on the show. And, um, you know, we have a lot going on. I think a couple of things that we're most focused on um, right now is both expansion around the globe. We now uh, serve over 120 communities um, in, in over 30 different countries. And at the same time as expanding, really focusing on our business, on profitability um, and improving product and hardware. So 
when we're moving, we're always moving quickly in a bunch of different directions. So it's a, it's a complicated business because <laughs> you really can't afford not to be moving in a lot of different directions at once. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So let me so now let's just give a little bit of background on how you got how you got there, right? To all this exciting stuff. Um what were you doing before Lime and and what was the epiphany or the transition to Lime? Yeah, so I had uh, my sort of earlier part of my career, I had worked in in government and politics and environmental policy and energy policy and coming out of that and and experience working in Congress where I realized we weren't going to get as much done on the climate crisis or on other uh, challenges that I had felt like we urgently needed to address, I shifted to the renewable energy industry and spent six years in solar and, and wind development. And really an amazing experience, both understanding project development, understanding the implications of how to um, grow a business and scale a business. And in many ways, the transition to to transportation with Lime was a natural one because I had spent uh, that period talking a lot about and thinking a lot about how do we electrify our transportation system? How do we make transportation cleaner? Um, it was one thing to be doing solar for a home, but it's another thing from a climate perspective to be shifting our economy to run on renewables. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I always look at cities, you know, I love New York. I lived in New York. I lived in Philly for six years and all that stuff. And I always look at things. I'm like, you look at historical design and I'm like, some of this is just not good design for, you know, what we would look for today when it comes to sustainability. And, you know, whether it's the transportation, you see all the cars, the congestion and all this kind of stuff. So you start thinking about these, you know, scooters and I guess you guys, you call it, um, what is it? Uh, micro mobility, right? Um, and That's so, right. Yeah, I love that. And you know, we just started seeing all these limes scooters and this whole movement taking place. And it seems like you're almost like you said, you're you're creating a shift in. It's almost like a cultural shift in transportation, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. And I think you you raise a really good point that I don't think a lot of people think about the cities that they live in today. Um, as having evolved over a very short period of time as quickly as they did when the car was invented. So not much longer than 100 years ago, there were no cars in any city around the globe. And in a matter of a decade or two, cities were transformed into car-centered communities. That meant you lost parks, that meant you lost space for uh, the community, it meant you lost stickball in the street, all kinds of you know vestiges of the past. Yeah. And I think when you look at communities today, it's very hard to see what the future could look like um, when you project what you want to see them be. And so, you know, many ways, I think micromobility and, and what we're up to with scooters is sort of a, the pointy spear among other um, change makers in this space, because we're yeah. really trying to envision a, a, a city of a, the city of the future at the same time as we're deploying programs in cities of the present. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I always thought about like public transportation systems and all these different things that would be helpful. Like I always thought about cities being more circular, like, so things can just easily go in a circle, <laughs> like a train. Yeah. And so when I see the, you know, micro mobility movement that you're part of, 
I, I just find it so much more flexible. Um, it's, it's just easier. It's more affordable. I mean, there's so much benefit. And I love walking around the cities, but sometimes, you know, it's uh, 90 degrees out. And after I just get on a subway or I uh, have to walk uh, 10 blocks, I'm going to be a, a sweaty mess when I get to work. So yeah. hopping yeah. on a scooter is a lot easier for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the the business proposition that we started with as a company was, was when the industry was essentially called dockless bikes or scooters hadn't even been invented yet, but this was just two and a half or or three short years ago. And um, the the premise was that the freedom and flexibility of having the, uh, not having to go to a docking station, which was the traditional model in shared mobility um, would free people up to use the product more. And we've actually seen that. And people love the flexibility to be able to get from point A to point B without a restriction on what that point B looks like, which is frankly, just how people operate, right? You don't plan your day generally around where a docking station is for shared transportation. And, and that's the premise that we're operating under yes. and the freedom and flexibility that we have. Love that. And that's the number one reason I never used the bikes. I was like, I'm not, right. I'm not going to go hunt down some docking station to do this, eh? But the scooter, it's like, oh, good. Boom. You just go wherever you got to go. You leave it. You're good to go. So that, that's, that's a huge step forward. And it kind of leads me to just start thinking a little bit of like when, when Lime was ideated, um, I, I mean, you look at this as a, a younger entrepreneur and you're thinking about business and getting into a big space like this. It's kind of daunting, and I feel like there's a lot of complex, you know, barriers to get around. So what have been some of the bigger challenges in getting Lime started? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, one point I'll make is, I think there's an important element that you can't know everything. And if you are someone who wants to be able to dot every I and cross every T and have surety in your decisions, it's pretty hard to be launching into something uh, like a new space, a new business, a new venture like this. You sort of have to throw some caution to the wind and and trust. And I think part of that trust is also knowing that you're entering a space that you really care about because I think that gives you a lot uh, of ability and energy and, and latitude to to put both, you know, to jump in with both feet and, and, and dive in. You know, so I think that's sort of one of the basic premises that I would share that, that that, that feels key to me. I think the big challenges really to get to your question were because it was an unknown space, um, the government relations and sort of marketplace that we were operating within was a, a big unknown. Um, that, that happens to me. My, back, my background, um, I certainly loved the challenge of this, but we were essentially asking communities to accept us as a business in, in a case where they didn't have regulations on the books. They didn't know what to do with our business, right? They couldn't look at some code or some subchapter within yep. their, you know, you know, within their city rules and say, this yeah. is where you fit in. It was yeah. different for every single market that we went into. Um, the second thing that we also ran into and the challenge that we had was in an era where you had um, Uber, Airbnb, other tech innovators that went into cities and asked for forgiveness rather than permission, cities were on alert and they did not want to see, um, see businesses or see dockless, you know, bikes or scooters um, enter communities without a part more of a partnership. And so we very quickly uh, established a 
a practice and a, a really a mission of working with cities in a collaborative way, which I think has clearly served us well. Hmm. I mean, who do you even start talking to in the cities? Where, where does that even the conversation begin? It, it really varied from from city to city. I sort of laugh here because uh, one of our very first communities was um, was in South Bend, Indiana. Mayor Pete, uh, who is now obviously running for president, a, a great innovative leader. But um, I think it really varied market by market. Sometimes we found a city councilor was extremely passionate about mobility and transportation. Sometimes we found the mayor wanted mobility and transportation. Sometimes we found the Department of Transportation director. So it really was a matter of finding a key stakeholder within the community that could be an advocate for us, that could help us navigate entering the community in a way that was productive for both the community and for us as a business. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess that leads me to be curious about, you know, there's a lot of people where it's like, great, now I can go hustle and find, you know, a city councilor or whoever that might, might want to, I might be able to get their ear. But what, mm-hmm. what did you need in place already for them to take you seriously? Yeah, um, I, you know, I think it was a commitment. Well, I think what we, what we learned very early on was we were not going to be taken seriously by New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, you know, the big markets that we all wanted to be in from the get-go. We had to be willing to start small and have some test markets or some pilot markets where we proved ourselves. And we had some very good advice from the former mayor of Philadelphia. And I remember sitting in the, in the boardroom with him or conference room, and he said, crawl walk, run. He repeated it, crawl, walk, run. (laughs) And what he was urging us to do was to do that crawl thing first. And that meant going to smaller communities that might not have had the unit economics that we wanted, but were markets where we could prove ourselves and markets where we could demonstrate and build a a, a trust that we were a business that was worth doing business with. And that was incredibly important advice. And I think was why we were successful among or compared to other competitors that may have started doing similar things at a similar time. Ah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So finding marketplaces that will give you a chance. And I mean, I'm curious, now you guys have raised quite a bit of money and I can, I can understand why this is a big operation, but like you said, you start by crawling. So where's how many rounds have you guys raised at this point? Do you know? We, yeah, we've raised four different rounds where we've raised the D round. Okay. Wow. So, so the first round got you started. And I think at this point you're over $700 million in, in funds raised for the full operation that you have now, right? Yeah, that's right. I think, um, it is definitely a capital intensive business. And so, you know, we, we, we were essentially raising money almost nonstop. So every six months or so on average, we were closing around and I often would, you know, talk with, you know, city leaders and others about this and, you know, we weren't raising money for the sake of raising money. We were raising money because it allowed us to scale good programs. It allowed us to invest in hardware. It allowed us to uh, be as strong a city partner as we possibly could be and build a team so that we could, could deploy programs in markets and serve them well. So, you know, often, you know, I think in Silicon Valley, the, the, there's a badge of honor and how much you raise. I think it's more about just being able to serve the communities that we're committed to serving. 
Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, for an operation like this, I, it sounds like, you know, you definitely need to raise some funds. I can't imagine just trying to do it, you know, organically yourself, which just probably wouldn't be possible to even test a market. There's going to be overhead just creating the equipment and all that other stuff. So was there a lot of regulation that you had to sort out in order to get this thing like initially launched? Well, yeah, I think, as I mentioned, like the, the regulations within each city were incredibly complex. In fact, yeah. one of the early things that we did was create a model regulation because they simply didn't exist. And I remember, you know, typing that out and, and thinking, all right, what do we want to abide by? What standards can we live by? What standards make sense for the industry so that we can hand that piece of paper over to a city and say, hey, we don't know this. You don't necessarily know this either, but let's start somewhere. And I think it was that type of work that allowed yeah. us to scale and grow into markets as quickly as we did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, you know, and, and we've seen it grow a lot here in Miami. There's just a ton of people using the scooters. And that's funny. When you first started seeing them pop up, we were like, what, what's going on here? How does this work? What is this? <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it was just all of a sudden you see them sitting on the sidewalk. And now today, I mean, people are buzzing around on these scooters all over the place. So how, how has your, um, the adoption been and feedback from people um, what's that been like now that you've been in the market testing for a bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we've now uh, achieved over 100 million rides across the globe. Uh, wow. Certainly an accomplishment that I never would have expected uh, three years ago to have, have, have made. Um, I think what is humbling, what is inspiring, what gets us all up every day working as hard as we do is the impact that we're having on communities. Um, you know, I think some of the statistics around our users are is most interesting. Um, one third of all of our riders make $50,000 or less. So we're not talking about just folks in Silicon Valley zipping around on scooters. This is a real world service that people are depending on uh, to get to and from work, to get to school, to get you know over to daycare, to pick up your kids. And, and there's a real value in that. And I think that's inspiring to, to all of us. Um, in addition, you know, again, there's a fair amount of gender uh, racial diversity as well. One third of all of our riders are also people of color. So what we're hoping to do is be able to serve communities and provide a service that, that covers the gaps that helps people get to and from public transportation. That uh, what's what we call serve the first and last mile, which is a challenge that cities have faced across the globe for, uh, yeah. for, for decades. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's what gets us excited. I mean, there's, of course, a whole level of environmental benefits, which we can chat about, but um, the users and the adoption have been quick, diverse, and it's amazing to see the joy that people have when they hop on a scooter the first time and you can see <laughs> why it's taken off because people just love it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, well, I love the the human benefits for people. Um, it's probably saving a lot of money for them and making it easier for them and giving them more reliable transportation to get around. So let, let, let's definitely touch on the environmental because now you got benefits to people, but also the environment. And I love, you know, some we talked a little bit just about how this is um, contributing towards uh, the climate crisis and shifting ourselves away from cars and things like that. But maybe you could tell us just a little bit more what this means to you guys at Lime when it comes to the environment and what you're seeing or what your goals might be with it. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, at the highest level, I mean, we're looking to help create more just, equitable and livable communities. And, you know, there are going to be 2.5 billion more people living in cities across the globe in the next 25 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. 2.5 billion people that these cities are really not well equipped to host or (laughs) to move around. And so, you know, you know, we see um, our solution as being part of a myriad of, of solutions that are necessary in a lower carbon world. So, yep. you know, our scooters are all electric. They are charged on renewable energy, no matter where in the world they're being charged. We buy renewable energy to charge those scooters because we feel so passionately that a carbon-free future is going to be critical for this planet. And so as we think about how those 2.5 billion people are going to get around, we're also thinking every day about how can our service be more sustainable and be in, in constant improvement to meet that challenge that we have as a globe. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything statistically, um, and you may not have this on the top of mind, but just curious, for example, like how much, like if you had a certain number of scooters, like you mentioned 100 million rides, what does yeah. that mean for the carbon footprint? Meaning like, you know, is, is that equal, like taking off a certain number of cars off the road? Like, is there anything top of mind like that, a comparable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that you asked. Yeah, um, there are a few, there are a number of different ways that we can sort of slice and dice that, but I'll give you a few examples. So in the 100 million rides that we've, uh, we've served um, a, as a business, um, 25% of those have prevented a car trip. And we, do, we, we know this through user surveys that we do. We know this through user surveys that cities do. So the, the cities often corroborate our numbers. You don't have to take my word for it. So if you take 100 million rides that we've, we've served and now we're well over that, that's 25 million car trips that we've reduced or prevented. And that equals around over 9,000 tons of carbon saved. Um, that's also the equivalent of running a car around the earth a hundred times consecutively. <laughs> so a, a pretty long car trip. Yeah. So, you know, and, and then maybe to d- dial down into a specific city, one of our biggest markets, um, in Paris, um, we've, we've served enough rides in Paris alone to have, ha- to have now over two car free days of Paris. So if you picture Paris going to 24 hour periods without a single car driving on the street. Um, it's a pretty big impact. And in my view, and I think as any anyone in business would hope, we're just getting started here. I think, you know, we just hit our 100 million ride milestone, but we're already obviously looking out towards what does a billion rides look like and when do we get there? Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, um, I remember I was going through the websites and I know you guys have multiple websites. Um, do you guys have this stuff plastered all over telling these stories? Um, uh, candidly, probably not as plastered as we should. I mean, I think with any business that's, that's growing as quickly as we are, there's a, there's a, you know, competing of priorities and our competition of priorities and, and we can't do it all. I think yeah. candidly, we could probably do a better job of telling this story. And, and I think often we have too many stories to tell. Um, often, um, we are, you know, we sort of, have an accomplishment, but then we move on to the next accomplishment. So, you know, candidly, I think it's an area where, where we should be doing more. And I think the impact um, really speaks for itself when we're able to, t- to yeah. tell those stories. 
No, that's incredible. I, I love, I really love what you guys are doing and I'm excited about it as a cultural shift and the contribution towards well, thank the, you. Yeah. The environmental stuff and how it, I mean, even I didn't even really think about it as much towards the, the way it helps people, but really making people's lives easier, giving them more, uh, a better option for getting around, saving money. Like it's just, I can see how people will start to rely on this regularly. And it's nice because of that flexibility. I can look at my app, I can see where the scooters are and I, you know, I can go and jump on one. It's really as simple as that, which is pretty cool. I mean, it takes like two seconds to get on this thing and get going. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we really couldn't have done in an earlier era where a smartphone wasn't so accessible. Yep. Um, but you know, now to, uh, it's just under two thirds of our riders <clears throat> ride regularly to get to or from work or school. And so to your point about regular use, I mean, two thirds of our riders are using it as a sort of daily utility school work. Um, daily habit is really how you create a business that makes some last, that makes lasting change. And, yeah. and, it's why we are so laser focused on our riders and, and also more communities that we can serve. I, I can just imagine. I mean, I can see like, you, you ever see like the humans of New York and the stories behind them. I can see people telling their stories on how this has made, like it's as simple as a scooter, but the difference it can really make in making someone's life just way easier. So that could be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I often think of I often think about the, the that sort of story and like being able to you know follow the a daily user that that you know might use it to get to work, but then might use it to go you know get you know take a scooter to the doctor's appointment and you know the time that it saves. I mean, we all know that people spend an enormous amount of time stuck in traffic. We also know that you know people own vehicles that sit idle 96% of their working lives, right? That, that just isn't a very good use of money or capital, right? It's the, it's the, the, the worst investment that, that we all or often too often make, right? And most of us don't want to have to make that investment in yeah. a car. Yeah. And so to the extent that we can be help, help move that needle and change the way people um, live and provide a utility that gives them either joy, gives them more time to spend with their kids, gives them more money. I mean, all those things are in addition to the environmental benefits, which are critical, but those are real world things that people live and breathe every day. And so while sometimes it can be easy to overstate the environmental benefits, um, the social benefits um, are really significant. And I think often, you know, you maybe governments and others don't put as much value on that because sometimes there isn't a financial value per se, but <laughs> yeah. when you break it down, there really is. Ultimately, yeah, I think there ultimately is. And if you think about, there's values outside of financial that are important, meaning every time my wife and I, we have one car because we live in Miami. So we have one car because she does have to drive a bit uh, outside to the University of Miami. She works at the hospital. And so um, every time we get in the car though, let's say we're going doing some weekend errands, sitting through the traffic in the city and just getting to places, there's not a time that goes by that we don't sit there and say, God, I hate driving. I hate driving and sitting in this traffic. And then what happens? Somebody honks on their horn, which means the next person catches a, a, the, the, it's like, it's like a virus that catches on and everyone starts feeling this frustration and you have this bad energy. Everyone's angry. Everyone's pissed off. And I feel like we can start getting rid of that, that anger from around, (laughs) from people uh, by getting people out of the cars. So I love that benefit as well. Um, And the other thing I was curious about as you're talking and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, well, 
I wonder what would happen when you try to get into a city like New York, because they have like, you know, Miami, we don't really have a good public transportation system here. So the scooters are perfect, but you know, subway kind of the subways in New York are a thing that the MTA is, it's like a big thing for them. And I bet you, you know, there's a lot of money behind it. So how do you foresee that? Like, is that going to be a challenge because it's going to compete with the subways? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we very much view ourselves as complementary to public transit. Because if you think about the benefits of public transportation is it's bringing people often more than a mile, right? You're, you're taking a, a, a train, um, um, you know, two, three miles, you might be taking a bus, three, four, five miles, etc. Um, what we really see our services doing is bringing people to public transit or from public transportation. So if you you know, go to Oakland, for example, where do you see people grabbing scooters all the time? They come out of the BART station, they hop on a scooter and they get that last, you know, that last connection or last mile uh, to work. Um, you know, we've actually done a really interesting partnership with Google Maps, which I, I'm really excited about because it allows people to go onto Google Maps and see how they can use public transportation plus a scooter, a Lime scooter to improve and speed up their c- commute. And that's, I think, when you really change charts and minds, when you can, you know, integrate yourselves into every, people's daily lives or, or really, importantly, change behavior, right? So you might go from thinking, oh, man, that bus trip or that train trip is going to take too long because I have to take, you know, two different lines or, it, you know, I can't get there in time to being able to hop on a scooter or take a scooter from the, the train station and speed up that trip. And so that's yeah. to me really exciting when we can be a complement to public transportation. And I think important for the cities that we serve, support the, 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 those public transportation investments by bringing more people to them. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And I want to call that out for anybody listening, because when you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about partnerships, like I always say, it's not about competition. You're not there to compete with other companies. You want to be uh, collaborative. Like cooperation has been more powerful than anything in this world. So that whole positioning that you had, which is we want to complement the public transportation system. And that, that made sense to me. And, and as soon as you mentioned Google, and that partnership, I the light went mm-hmm. off. I was like, oh, crap, that makes a lot of sense now. Because when you type in, well, what does it take to get there? And if it includes now the scooter option, that is, right. I mean, it doesn't get right. much better than that. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's another interesting one. Since you like that one, I'll give you a second. So yeah. um, speaking of competition, I mean, one of the, um, the businesses that we actually um, compete against the most or the services that we provide, compete against the most is ride hailing because if you're in a city and you want to you know go down the street a mile your options often um are take a scooter or ride hail um and we've actually in in part of that mode shift that i mentioned that has allowed us to save 25 million rides is because a significant number of our riders are choosing uh, to take a scooter over hailing a ride on their app and we've actually partnered with uber and within uber's app um, in, ac- across the globe, you can, um, you can actually see Lime scooters as an alternative to taking an Uber vehicle. So um, in addition to that partnership with, with Google, which, would, which helps you, you know, form your way from public transportation faster, um, you can actually choose to spend less money and often move faster 
through a city by taking a scooter instead of taking an Uber ride. And that actually only further supports the mode shift from vehicles, which are often carbon emitting, to renewably powered scooters that we're trying to make. So there's really a, a double win there of bringing more eyeballs to the service, but also saving on carbon as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I love that. I mean, the Uber thing is great. It's convenient. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just, but there's just more benefits to the scooter. Now, can you have a family of four jump on a scooter? Uh, no, but I think that for most couples and people just going, think, going to work and doing all these things, like it's just such a, a, a good, flexible option. Um, so I, I'm just happy to see them uh, growing and, and getting a lot of use. I was curious if they would be adopted by people and they definitely seem to be having a pretty big uptick and the hundred million rides is, is really impressive. So. Well, well, and you know, we're also finding that in, in Europe, which is one of our biggest growth markets, um, the European communities are even, even more inclined than, than North American communities. Not to say that there isn't a, a significant amount of growth in North America, but uh, European cities are, they're, they're built and designed for pedestrians they have higher gas prices, they have higher density, and there's also a really high premium or interest in, in climate solutions there. So we're actually finding uh, extremely quick adoption as we, as we look outside of North America across the globe. Yeah, uh, yeah, that make, that's great. And, and you know, as you were talking, something else came to my mind that's just another huge benefit. And I've always said this to my, my wife, I was like, ah, you know, we have this capitalist model where we have to buy, 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 which means people have to make more, sell more, and it's just this infinite loop. Right. <laughs> and I'm right. like, well, this, it's not, people don't want to own anything. They only, they just want access to things. And what you guys are offering is access without ownership. And I think that is a very important part of the future. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, there's the, the, the evolution of the of folks embracing the circular economy is I think a really um, pertinent one for our business. I think you know, Ellen MacArthur Foundation has some leading work on this for those listeners who are interested. But, you know, they raise the question of when you um, need a hammer, is it the hammer itself that you need or the service that the hammer is providing, right? You're trying to hit a nail in, right? To boil it down to one of the most basic or common elements, it's the service, right? And so our goal with shared transportation is to uh, prevent people from having to own, own, own and continuously accumulate things, but (laughs) have a service yeah, have a service that's convenient to them and yes. have a service that is there when they need it, that's reliable, and that provides, it provides an efficient, affordable way to get around. And, and so to me, you know, embracing that circular economy um, um, element is so critical to our business, and I think it fits shared transportation so well. A hundred percent. I mean, we've been doing it for a long time with libraries. Like you just need the book to read, learn the information, and then you don't need to right. keep the book forever on your shelf. Um, you know, like nobody wants to own a million CDs with CD cases. They just want the music. <laughs> right? so I, always like, say, I, I think, of, I think about my parents all the time because they were just avid, avid readers and were always getting books from the library. And um, while I, profess that I do not have enough time to read these days. I've got two young kids at home and, and, and obviously Lyme takes up a lot of time. Yeah. I just think about them and their, you know, embracing of the community and, and a shared service, which is the library. And I think you raise a really great point um, that we don't all need to own everything at the moment that we need it. And I think in the, in an economy where absolutely everything is for purchase 
on the tip of your fingers, literally now, it can become too easy to consume. And I think it's exciting to be able to think about ways where you can consume in a way that is more sustainable, that has a, a lower impact on the world. Yep. That's perfect. I love that. So we're going to wrap up. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but the one last thing I want to ask, and I'll just ask for this as a heartfelt answer um, from you is, you know, what is something, if you had everybody, the world's ear, I, I asked this randomly to some people, <laughs> and if you had the world's ear um, and you could tell them what you believe is the most important message, I mean, what would you want to share with people? You know, I would say that people need to be involved in the decision-making in their communities. And I know that politics can often be uh, seen as a third rail and you don't bring it up, but I come from a political background and having been now in two businesses where regulation, policy, politics are at the heart of our success, of our growth, of our deployment, I just think it's so critical that people often are saying to me, hey, why don't we have scooters in this city or that city? Or why don't we have more scooters in this city or that city? It comes down to community engagement. And yeah. we, have, we have done very well in cities where the community is saying we want this and we need this service and we want more of it. And I would just say that to your question, um, being engaged in whether it's scooter policy or something else that you're passionate about, I think is just so critical. I think it makes our communities work. I think often people um, don't think that they can have an impact, but having been on the other side where I've served in government, um, you can have an impact with, with very few number of voices. And so I think that would be my sort of parting, uh, parting thought. I love that. Yep. Get involved, take action. I think people get too comfortable behind the computer on Facebook, just thinking that like is going to do something. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it really doesn't take, it does not take a lot. I mean, I will tell you that a city councilor that hears from five or 10 people takes notice. A, a mayor that hears from 10 or 20 people takes notice. And so it doesn't take much to move the needle. Um, so it doesn't take many friends to move the needle. So, you know, take those likes on Facebook and you know, pull people together and, and, and ask for something that you're looking for to make your community stronger. I think that's a great insight is that, you know, 10 people that reach out to the mayor, the city councilor, like they'll start paying attention. So when you see things about call your city councilor, or call, I mean, that stuff is real. So that's, they want to hear Absolutely. from you. And if you sit there and think, well, it's not going to matter if I call, you're wrong, right? So that's, that's a great point. I love that. Um, all right. Well, listen, let's give a shout out. What's the best place for people to learn about Lyme? Our website, li.me, or you can check us out on various social media handles as well. Awesome. Appreciate your time, Andrew, and I look forward to seeing more in the future from Lyme. Thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate you having me on. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 